Hi, I am Thomas Legrand, and this is Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Welcome to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm your host, Will Rucker, and I am so excited for this season four podcast kickoff. We have a very, very special guest who you are going to be inspired by. You're going to be informed. You're going to find yourself feeling hopeful. And I'm so grateful that you have joined us today. Welcome to the podcast, Thomas Legrand. Thank you, Will. It's a pleasure to be with you. How did I do with my accent? Was I uh, doing much better than me? Okay. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm, I'm so excited to have you because you have a book out called The Politics of Being. And this season that we're, we're focused on uh, politics, which the way I view politics is really just how do we get along as a community? And I think you have some really fascinating ideas, but you take us beyond where we've been and some of these traditional viewpoints and you're taking us into the realm of possibility and how we can truly thrive as a, a community uh, locally, but also as a global community. So would you share a little bit about your background and this process of becoming you, really? Yes, I, I've, um, I think this um, reflection started with my own spiritual path, uh, which started in Mexico 20 years ago when I was in a student exchange. And uh, because of what I experienced from this spiritual path, I have probably come to the conclusion that we're just so far away from tapping into our full potential, each of us as human beings and also as societies, right? And I've, uh, because of this spiritual path, I think I've taken a path of service uh, in exploring different uh, aspects. Uh, working in the field of microfinance, working in the field of environmental conservation, management consulting, climate change, sustainable finance. So I've explored uh, even, uh, I would say, uh, alternative health. So I've explored quite different um, aspects of, of societies and, and what the change of paradigm that we need looks like in these different sectors. And working myself as an environmentalist, uh, often with uh, UN agencies, for example, I've come to two conclusions. Uh, one is that we seldom have the space, the opportunity to have the real deep conversations that we need about our societies, our communities. Um, and to me, that goes back to recognize that the um, roots of many of our problems are inside of us in our mindsets, in our hearts. Um, the second aspect uh, um, of that is uh, working as an environmentalist. I've come to realize that there's so little we can achieve within this dominant uh, development paradigm, which is all about economic growth. And, uh, and I think um, looking at the depths of the challenges that we are now facing, and that will be increasing in the future, in the coming decades, because we have a lot of, lot of disruptions coming on, uh, either from technologies or from environmental crisis. So our world will be evolving so fast and create uh, new and more 
uh, and deeper challenges. And I've come to the conclusion that we really need to reorient what we mean by progress and the development of our societies, basically from economic growth, economic development, which is good per se, but is only a mean towards an end. And the real end to me is human flourishing, or what I call being. You've given us so much in just that introduction. And I wanna make sure that our, our audience knows you are a PhD. And for those that may have not heard it, you work with the UN agencies. Exactly. Yeah. And I, um, I did my PhD in ecological economics, where and I, I, I stumbled on uh, some of the main insights that, have, uh, that are at the foundations of this reflection, you know, how institutions, for example, shape our mindsets and whether they can bring uh, the um, bad aspects, I would say, of human being, you know, selfishness, greed, competition, etc., or whether they could encourage uh, cooperation and bring out the best in humans. Uh, so there is this, uh, what's interesting, I think, is that my own reflection as a social scientist with this PhD, for example, my own work that I've started to talk about with the UN, and my own spiritual journey. So I live also in, in France next to a um, mindfulness practice center, which is very famous from Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. And these kind of three um, fields of experience have converged you know, around the same message, that is uh, the politics of being, that we need, we need really to uh, prioritize in our lives, both as individuals, but also as community, as nations, being over having. I should have brought my note cards because you, you are just, uh, I mean, I'm just inspired already. Uh, two things that you mentioned. One is changing from this idea of having to being, but also this idea of an economic paradigm to something greater. Could you share a little bit about your viewpoint on what compassion is? Sure. So compassion is to um, be in, a, in empathy connected, you know, with uh, the suffering of others and having the, the will to alleviate this suffering, right? And I think compassion is part of our, of our true being, like in uh, where we get more connected with ourselves, we are also getting more connected with others. There is a sense that this sense of separation tends to dissolve, and then the, the suffering of others or even of the land, you know, can become experienced as our own suffering. And then we uh, want to, to serve, to, to alleviate that suffering. And I think, you know, compassion also comes really from this recognition that is very important, that we are not that separate as it seems to be, that sooner or later, what happens to the earth, what happens to others, will affect me. No, I'm not, we are not living in a bubble separate from all of that. So compassion dissolves this illusion of separation, including the illusion that we're separate from the planet that is our home. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Now, why did you name your book The Politics of Being? Why wasn't it something, you know, like the community of being or, you know, why did you choose politics? 
Well, because my uh, I I worked, you know, with an agency and uh, mainly in the field of public policies. You know, what kind of systems we can create that can uh, improve our lives, right? So I wanted to show that um, we can create, and I, I give a lot of examples in the book of concrete public policies or concrete systems in many sectors: education, health justice, governance, economy, um, family, uh, organizations. So I wanted to show, you know, what does it look like, uh, how a more advanced civilization is organized. But not something, you know, in the far future. I'm using only almost exclusively concrete real examples that are already happening. So if we can, you know, have the vision that these different pieces can be brought together into um, uh, a new vision for societies, into uh, a new story also, um, then we can uh, really, in relatively short time, completely transform our societies for something much greater. You're from France. Yes. What would you say most surprised you between uh, the political climate in your home country mm -hmm. and what you've seen here in the US? Well, there are some uh, commonalities, of course, but I think the, uh, the problems in the US are deeper and more, um, and more visible, right? And I talk a lot, of, in this book, I talk a lot about the US indeed, and I say, in the introduction, I say, uh, I talk a lot about it because there is a lot of information, studies, reflections that are very uh, interesting to build upon, but also because to me, the US is probably the country that has been further away in this general mindset, or we can call it uh, the general story that moves society, uh, the story of separation, you know, where the values such as individualism, materialism, reductionism, etc., are very stronger and have led uh, this country to, to a point where things start to be uh, very uh, difficult and is requiring uh, some deep change, you know, really um, deep conversation to how we can evolve you know, our worldviews, our mindsets, um, yeah, even our, I would say even the, the philosophical, you know, these values, they are really philosophical uh, foundations of our society. And I think, you know, the, the change that we need is, is very deep. Uh, some might say, you know, it's, uh, it's impossible, but I'm, an, and, and they, they say I'm too optimistic. And I, I just think that we won't be able to deal effectively with the challenges that we face if we don't uh, make this kind of cultural evolution. And there are more and more, even in the UN, uh, people recognizing that. Yeah. So for most Americans, individualism is a huge part of who we are. Uh, we've become an economic superpower in a relatively short time as a nation. And you're proposing that we move beyond economics. So in a sense, what you're proposing is a complete shift in the identity of who we are as a nation. What would you say to someone that hears that and perhaps has some apprehension or some fear around what that means? 
Well, I would, I mean, it's true that uh, the US uh, has become quickly a, a superpower, but just let's have a look in terms of uh, happiness and suffering. And you, you will have to recognize that, you know, the studies are very clear. It's not about uh, so much about money or power. It's about relationship with oneself, with one another. Uh, and um, how we can um, mental health, you know. So I think we need a, a, a we need a, a recapitulation of, of the story, you know, of the country. What has been the story? Why did we? Why our identity has fought like that? What? How is it showing up now? What? What? What is the problems that are involved with that? Uh, and, you know, from, uh, I think it's like, you know, I often compare nations and individuals, right? So one may have an identity, but this identity is creating him a lot of problem. One will not become someone else because he's evolving, right? But he needs to do this work that find the right con connection so that what he may become feels still, you know, um, true, authentic to him, right? I love that, the way that you frame that. And what I'm visualizing is just natural development where you mature. When you were six years old, there were things that you did because you were six. Mm -hmm. But then when you're 60, you don't do those things in the same way. Exactly. Myself, my life uh, has changed so much also because of my own personal journey. And uh, I still feel like all that I've done is stay uh, being part of me but um, my life is just so different and I have completely different interests etc than when I was a teenager for example or yeah so you're you're not losing anything with this politics of being mm -hmm. you're adding on and expanding is that what I'm hearing exactly exactly one of the things you mentioned in perhaps a presentation it may be in the book as well but you you call us out as a nation and you say America is one of the only developed countries that doesn't offer paid parental leave as a guarantee. Now, I can tell you, we care about our families. We care about the well-being of our children. And as a nation, this is something that is a glaring um, issue because how do we adequately take care of our kids if we're not present? What do you think is the pathway to shifting the narrative in the nation where we actually adopt that as a policy? Well, I think we need, you know, as I said, these deeper conversation. We need to recognize how we feel inside. We need, we need to recognize uh, mental health issues, you know, that have been increasing, uh, that were already very uh, strong in the U.S. and have been increasing with uh, COVID. And um, so we need to look at, uh, at all these, uh, these data and just recognize what are the causes you know, that's my whole methodology you know every fact has a cause and psychologists are very clear I, the major factor of you know determining one's own capacity to flourish uh, is um, a lot what we receive as a child you know in the first five years some might say and parental leave in sweden they have uh, they offer 18 months uh, for for parents to share among the two parents uh, with 80% of their wage. 
to be there in the in the first uh, years, months, and years of the of their children. That makes a huge difference for the for the child. And what, what I'm saying is that it's not only the basis of individual flourishing, it's also the basis of their capacity to contribute positively to society. So that's a good investment for society to actually invest in that. Otherwise, you have a lot of, you have a, uh, you know, people doesn't feel uh, secure, they have not received the love they need, uh, and that manifests in societies, sometimes through crimes or other negative aspects. So for the small business owner that says, I can't afford that if some of my staff is gone for 18 months, how do I run my business? Mm -hmm. What do you say to them? Well, they should not be the one paying. I mean, this should be uh, in these countries. This is uh, uh, the whole uh, society. Taxes are fueled to finance that. So it's not at the moment that someone uh, of your employee is living. Is that you're paying a small amount each month so that when that happens, uh, your employees will be able to benefit and the whole society will benefit of it. Again, that's a, a major shift from our individualism mm -hmm. into a more collective uh, paradigm, mm -hmm. which I personally love. I think that's so important. And I think evolutionarily, we have proven that working together is how we can survive, let alone thrive. Mm -hmm. And also there's value in that independent spirit, that entrepreneurial spirit in uh, those that want to uh, create and go for something different. You know, that unique, uh, I'm, I'm saying individualism, but I, I almost mean uh, more so of a uniqueness. Mm -hmm. And so there, I think there's value in both. Mm -hmm. From this paradigm shift, how do you, I guess, reconcile the two of wanting to be unique, wanting to contribute something individual, mm -hmm. but still keeping in mind the importance of the collective understanding and the collective well-being. Exactly. Well, you know, I propose to make being the main goal of our society so that the societies can uh, provide the right conditions for people to be and to express themselves, right? And that could be uh, definitely through entrepreneurship, right? But also for someone to be able uh, to really express who, who he is, he, if he's uh, or, or, or holding some kind of traumas because you know he has uh, uh, his or her parents were not present when he was a child, or is because of um, structural poverty or violence, um, he will not be able to express himself even as an as an entrepreneur. So um, it's definitely, uh, I feel, completely reconciled, uh, but it's a different understanding of who we are. Uh, we need to recognize more and more people and science and researchers uh, recognize that we are fundamentally um, relational beings. So, you know, even our identity is being formed through relationships, first with our mother, with our parents, with our community, and even happiness study tell us this is the number one factor to be happy, cultivate good relationship. So I just want to kind of summarize what I'm hearing, and please correct me if I'm mis misinterpreting anything. But what I'm hearing you say is that when we have a established foundation where basic needs, the, the things that all of us need are met, 
it allows us to be more of who we are as individuals. Exactly, exactly. Um, Ingle Art, which is uh, the most important, uh, he was uh, managing the global values of survey. And he says, basically, uh, we have experienced a big shift in the last decades. There's some weeks we are going backward, but that's what we have experienced uh, in the last decades, is to moving from survival towards self-expression. And when our basic needs have been met, then we are not in that survival mode, but we can start to, to flourish and express really who we are. So that's, I think, what society should strive for. I want you to say that one more time, moving from survival to... Self-expression. Self-expression. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, for me, it's, it's freeing. That's, that to me is freedom. To me, that is exactly uh, what I want. Exactly. You know, worrying about survival, it's different when there's not enough. Mm -hmm. But I think we can see based on the amount of food waste we have, uh, the hoarding of resources we see with you talk about the uh, enormous wealth gap mm -hmm. um, and inequity in that space. Uh, I, I think we have enough for everybody mm -hmm. to survive. But what we haven't done is transition into this being. Mm -hmm. And I, I agree with you that it starts with our policy. So what are some of the policies that you would say, um, as a starting point, we should adopt in order to help us move into this state of being? So we have already talked about uh, family. Uh, education, of course, is really, is really key. You know? That's where um, people learn you know, the, how they function in life. Uh, two days ago, we went to see a uh, compassionate school in, uh, in Las Vegas. It was wonderful to see, and a lot of the ideas that I developed in this book were, were put to work. Uh, so shout out to Battleborn Academy. You're doing a great job. Yeah, thank you. So social, social and emotional learning. And, you know, even scientists have tend to recognize that success is not so much about IQ. It's about emotional intelligence. So that's what we should develop also. In, uh, in schools, um, you know, we were sitting in a circles with kids and if they were going through different steps about, you know, uh, how they feel, uh, what they have experienced, uh, the big um, discoveries they are making or what they have enjoyed. And, you know, they, they are really in learning at the same time we're just discussing with other people that's what we are trying to bring to adults. And now they, we see them practicing five, seven, nine years old. So that's, that's beautiful. Wow. So we've dealt with family leave, making sure that parents can actually be present in the lives of their newborns. Mm -hmm. um, we've talked about education, making sure we're investing in our kids. It's sounding to me like you, you think kids are important. Definitely. I mean, uh, that's, uh, I mean, this, if we talk about cultural change, cultural evolution, that's, it's a matter of a generation, right? So uh, we need, all of us need to evolve, but it goes also, uh, it's stronger when it's just a new generation that comes with, uh, with new values. If we are able also to, um, to be able to, to embrace that, no? because that can create also conflict sometimes, mm -hmm. um, but definitely uh, our children are very important because a lot of, of these things, indeed it's to me, being is a, is a natural LC aspiration that, that we can find in everyone's heart. 
and especially in uh, so it's not uh, adults have a long story and they can already already be distorted they can be they can have traumas etc that kind of disconnect them for their natural aspiration but I'm I'm, I'm sure that uh, kids naturally get it it's really uh, it's just part of our nature or it's it's part of even we could say you know uh, the nature of every living being to become really who who he is who she is well i think that's a great place for us to pause we will be back with more from this amazing human and sharing on the politics of being in our next episode but until then i want to remind you you are not just a drop in the ocean you are the entire ocean in a drop and what you do matters so live compassionately